Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Dennis Vardy called Heaven on Earth, and it speaks about how over and over again throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus introduces parables with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does the expression kingdom of heaven mean? How is it relevant to our lives today? And what do the parables tell us about living a life relevant to the kingdom of heaven? Find out and enjoy today's message. Well, we're continuing our series called Heaven on Earth today. My name is Joel. I have the honor of uh, giving you the message this morning. And we're going to uh, dive into Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14 in a minute. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. Um, so if you have a Bible here this morning or a version app on your phone or the Celebration app, uh, you can jump in and read along with me. We're Throughout this series, we're learning God's priorities through Jesus's words. Those are the words of Jesus. We learn about who God is and what God is like and what he wants uh, us to experience in our lives. And so in Matthew chapter 22, chapter 22, 1 through 14, I'm going to read out of the NIV. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into this. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and he said, tell those who've been been invited uh, that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. And the king was enraged. And he sent his army to destroy those who'd murdered, those murderers who, and burned their city. And then he said to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went into the streets and he gathered all the people they could find. The bad ones as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked them, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man, standing there in flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt, um, was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. There's a lot to unpack in this verse. What are we going to do about it? That's the title of this morning's message. Simply, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? This banquet that Jesus refers to is a specific connection to him. Um, It's an eternal connection through salvation But what we're going to unpack now is once we receive that banquet, that salvation, how does that impact the rest of our life going forward? If you've been following Jesus for a while, you'll know that there's times where you feel really connected. There's times where you feel really intimate with him. And there's also times where you go through seasons where it kind of feels like dry land, if you will. And Jesus is saying that we can have an amazing fellowship with him, that we can bask in his divine 
presence. God doesn't just want communion with us in the future, in heaven, but we can have that now. God loves us and, we, and he wants to connect with us. But the constant temptation that we face in the West is to prioritize our kingdom, not the kingdom of God. Like these people who've been invited to this banquet. See, God knows that when we have his desires in our heart, we will experience life here on earth so much better. But we often live like these people that were invited to the banquet. It says in the Bible, they paid no attention and they went off, went to his field, went to his business, and they seized servants and mistreated them. What were these people doing? They were giving into the, the distraction of their kingdom. They were making excuses. Doesn't that perfectly describe how we behave sometimes? You know, my son is becoming the king of making excuses. He's four years old, and whenever I go to put him to bed, ever since he could talk, whenever I go to put him to bed, he's always got some excuses why he can't go to bed right now. I go to put him to bed. He's like, Dad, I need a story. You know, Dad, I need another story. Or I go to put him to bed. Anybody have some young kids at home that make excuses for bedtime? You know what I'm talking about? Nobody in here? At the back. Yes. Thank you, parents section. I love you guys. I feel your pain. But he's, he's like, I need a snack. I need a story. His latest thing is, I need a crack. You have to leave the door open a little bit. Whatever he's doing is he's, con he's consistently delaying the inevitable that he needs to go to bed. And what we do is we de delay the inevitable that we need a spiritual, a deep spiritual connection with God. And what happens is we excuse the spiritual because we're bombarded by the physical. We do what we want and we ignore what we need. Have you ever made a decision and looked back and thought, man, I really wish I would have included God in that process? Like you look back with regret going, why did I just consult myself? Uh, why, why did I just consult that person? See, naturally, we do what we want. Naturally, we do what we think is best. And Jesus is communicating that the Father has invited us into something better than that, but we are resistant. Now, often, like sometimes our resistance feels like, you know, you hear God, you know God wants you to do something. You say, no, God, I don't want to do that. You know, and, and that's, that's sometimes how it feels. But often we don't even feel our resistance to God because we just do what feels natural to us. Be careful when you get into habits in your life where you're just doing what feels natural in the moment, where there isn't uncomfortable space for you, where there isn't times where you're challenged and confronted to think differently and do something different than you would normally do. See, there's times where, like I said, we're clearly resistant to the spirit of God, but often it's just a natural process that we just follow our own path. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Recently, um, I had noticed that my reactions and the way I was responding to certain things were far too much Joel and not enough Jesus. Actually, my mom noticed that, not me. Thank God for good moms in our lives. Anybody got a great mom that calls you out sometimes? You know, what my response to this has been is a new practice in my life. A new practice 
where I don't just invite Jesus into big moments, like Jesus, come and be with me when I'm at church. That would be important. But what I do is I, I've learned the practice of inviting Jesus into my little day-to-day things every single day. I'm tired of responding my way. I would prefer to respond the way Jesus modeled for me. So when driving to work, I'll invite Jesus. Jesus, come into my day. Come into how I respond to emails. Come into how I respond to text messages. Come into what gift I'm going to send back. Is it going to be passive aggressive or loving? <laughs> you know, when I'm texting people. God, God, and, and even on my way home, Jesus, would you be with me? Would I parent these kids how you'd want me to parent, not how Joel would want me to parent? And we, would, God, would you, as I, as I get to work, whatever it is, simple everyday life things that could be better if Jesus was invited in. Every day, you have a fresh opportunity to allow God into the little things that happen in your life. And I wonder, how much time do we spend, how much time do we, sorry, let's say this, waste trying to get God to pay attention to what is important to us when we should be paying attention to what is important to God? He's inviting us into something better than what we had planned. So what are you going to do about it? We have to trust that that banquet will be better than that work or that thing that we're excusing ourselves to go and do. What happens in Proverbs uh, 30, sorry, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, there's some great clear instruction here. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this verse before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. What does that mean? I mean, Proverbs, that's good. How do I trust in the Lord with all my heart? Do I put a little Bible inside my heart and hope for osmosis? And it's like, yes, it'll, uh, that's how I trust him. Do I, uh, do I put a little, I don't know, do I put a heart rate monitor on there and see if I know it for a certain amount of beats per minute, that's trusting the Lord with all my heart. How do we trust in the Lord with all of our heart? Well, the Hebrew translation uh, for this word heart here refers to someone's emotions. So we get emotional like these people and we, we reject our king's invitation because we're, we think about, how do I feel right now? How does that make me feel? We respond on how it makes us feel, but we have to trust in the Lord with all of our emotions. Can I tell you what my version of this verse would be if it often followed the way I react to things often? It would be like this. Do you want to hear Joel's version, version this morning? The, the, the J-V-V? Joel Vardy version is this. Trust in your heart with all your heart and lean on whatever you've consumed. Or this, lean on your understanding, not God's. In all your ways, submit to yourself for only you can make your path straight. Amen. What was Jesus talking about with those who refused the invitation? These are people who made decisions based on what they felt in the moment and making major choices and even little choices based on pure emotions in the moment often leads us away from heaven on earth. What do we need to do? Trust in the Lord. Submit those emotions to him. Slow down for a second and say, God, I'm going to trust the Lord with all of my emotions, not trust in what my emotions are telling me right now. This thinking of joining him at the banquet will form us into people who can deeply experience heaven on earth. 
Heaven on earth is when our fellowship with God stirs our hearts towards wanting our desires to be God's desires. That we don't want to live a life that just follows whatever we want, but we actually want a life that says, God, would you actually change my desires? Would you change my opinions sometimes? God, would you reveal to me where I've been off and where I could adjust so that I could experience this heaven on earth life that you so freely offer me? See, God is so much more concerned with your spiritual health than your material wealth. Now, I said it that way because it rhymed and hopefully you would, remind, you would remember it that way, but you could plug and play whatever you want into material wealth. I think it's a pretty common thing in the West, but I don't know. You could plug in, uh, God is more concerned with your spiritual health than your, you know, followers on Instagram or than your, you know, uh, however, I don't know, whatever. Maybe your clout, as the young people say. I, I don't know. God, but God is more concerned with your spiritual health than your material wealth. And there's, there's so often a constant tension to build our material wealth while we're in spiritual poverty. But I want you to hear me this morning. I'm not saying you can't do both. We actually need people in the church to be wealthy. That's important. That's how the church moves forward, right? That's is by taking that wealth and giving it to God. I'm just saying that we often prioritize one over the other. We need wealthy people. We need you to be influential. We need you to run businesses. Why? Because you're bringing God and heaven on earth into those places. But we often are so black and white and we prioritize one over the other. Why are we like this? Well, we're always focused on what's in front of us. Our bank account, our home, our work, our car, whatever. We're surrounded by the physical needs of our life. And the physical needs and the physical things become urgent while the important spiritual things take a back seat. Is anyone else a control freak like me? Come on, be honest. We want to control everything. And I'm not suggesting that being busy would be on the same level as fully rejecting Jesus, but sometimes it feels that way. Corey Ten Boom has that beautiful quote where she said, um, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because they both have the same, they both have the same result where they can disconnect you from God. People get messed up because they think, well, there's, a, there's sort of a thinking that sort of arises. And it, it goes like this. If I follow God, then the, the Bible will be true. And what the Bible says is that God gives me the desires of my heart. That's what the Bible says, right? That whatever I want, God will give me because God gives me the desires of my heart. And so they think, well, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get that Bread, I'm going to get that paper, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to go and, and do my thing. I'm going to chase my desires because that's how God will give me the desires of my heart. That's what God wants to do, right? This is one of the most misused Bible scriptures of all time. I would even go as far to say that it's abused. Let's look at this verse that people often quote, God will give you the desires of our heart. I often see it posted, people standing at the car dealership. They post a scripture. God gives you the desires of my heart with the car with the bow on it, right? <laughs> Psalms 37, 4. What's the first line? Take delight in the Lord and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. What's that mean? It means that if we take 
delight in the Lord, he will actually change our heart to prioritize what's right for our life, and then he will give us the desires of our heart. That when we prioritize God in our lives, when we put him to the top, that's when he will reward us with the desires of our heart. That is good. You can clap. Let's do it. But often people are quoting and saying, God will give me the desires of our heart. Pray for a new house. Pray for a new job. You know, you might be praying for a new car, but God's desire for you is to actually have no debt. Because he knows how free you'd be. Oh, don't make me get all Dave Ramsey this morning. I, I'm not sipping his Kool-Aid enough. Um, but this, it's, it's such a... It's such, uh, let me say it this way to just maybe help you understand. If God wanted to give you the desires of your heart, like reread, um, then what happens when your neighbor starts to make you angry and you decide, I think I want my neighbor to be dead. Might be a little extreme. It's Halloween, a little morbid. What the heck? Um, but like, that's the kind of thinking we get into. Okay, God, this neighbor made me upset. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm exaggerating here. But okay, God, this neighbor made me upset. You're going to give me the desires of my heart. Take him out, Lord. Every time he goes near the road, you're hoping for that car to come by. Maybe this is the day when the Lord gives me the desires of my heart. Come on, that's a little bit messed up. But our consumeristic view of God says, well, God will give me the desires of my heart. But what does the verse actually say? We got to read the first line. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if you would take delight in, your Lord, in the Lord, in that extreme example I gave you, what would happen? Your desire would be for that person to come to Jesus, get their heart right, right? And then Oh, wow, they would all of a sudden learn forgiveness and grace and mercy, and then they would be a better neighbor. We cannot skip the first part. See, heaven on earth is a process, not just a moment. Um, there's times in church services where, and, and other services, whatever it may be, sometimes they're alone, where we will experience the power of God, where we'll experience the presence of the Holy Spirit so thick and so strong. Where, and, and that's amazing that just for whatever reason, God showed up and you just have this moment with the Holy Spirit and it's incredible. And people will describe that as heaven on earth. But I'm just submitting to you this morning that as great and as beautiful as that is, that heaven on earth is not just that moment. It's a process that can happen through your whole life. It doesn't require somebody to be all read up and, and, and preach to you and, and a band to be fully prepared and practice for a couple hours. And if everything goes right and the sound guy doesn't mess up and unmutes the mics perfectly, you can experience heaven on earth. It's not just a moment. It's a process. And it's a conditional basis that we first take delight in the Lord. Then he will give us the desires of our heart. This is why Jesus uses the language, join him at the banquet. He wants us to take delight in him. 
And that will help us navigate what is absolutely best for our lives. What did the no-show people do? They followed the desires of their heart. They went about their business and they rejected the invitation to take delight in the Lord, thinking that that is what would give them the desires of their heart, following what they knew. And this will often take us out of this heaven on earth life that we want. We trust God for our desires. And then what happens? God can actually give us better desires. This is the process of heaven on earth. Not just God, please answer my prayer, but God, if this prayer is not from you, give me a better prayer to pray then. Jesus communicates that we are going to have to trust him with the unknown. You ever go over to someone's house that you don't really know for the first time? That's unknown territory, right? You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about at all? I, I just had this experience last night. We had people over to our house, some new friends that don't know us very well. It's unknown territory going over to someone's house for the first time. You don't know what it's going to be like. Like, see, at a restaurant, you go into the restaurant, you can control things, right? You, you can decide what you're going to eat. You can decide how things are going to be. You can decide when you want to leave. But you go into someone's house for the first time, you don't know what they're going to cook. You don't even know if they're a good cook. You're just like, it's unknown territory. Am I clicking with anyone this morning? Or am I the only one who's terrified to go to people's house for the first time? It's unknown territory. It's kind of scary. But if we want heaven on earth, we're going to have to step into some unknowns. See, Jesus did not clearly communicate the reward to these people. He only communicated the invitation. If you read through, he doesn't say there's going to be like this and that reward from the banquet. He just says, come to the banquet. Do you know that's how this church was started? That there was... Our pastors were in the known. They had it made in the shade. They were in Vancouver, okay? They were, it was like sunny skies. They just bought their first house. They were in the known and the comfortable. They moved from snowy, wet, gross Ontario. Now they're in this beautiful Vancouver where the Lord had promised no more snow. And they're there in the known. And then God said, why don't you go to Edmonton? No job, no family, no community, no church, no money, <laughs> no house. They had a house in Vancouver, but they just said, I got to step into the unknown. And because two people stepped into the unknown, you have a place to sit in church today. And God just was so faithful <laughs> through 30 years of ministry. But what did it take? A step into the unknown, a step into the uncomfortable, a step into Alberta. <laughs> Are they just a bunch of hicks down there? <laughs> like, you know, a step into the unknown. And thank God, I love Alberta. It's a great place to live. But it's, it took a step of the unknown. You know, our youth ministry, just about 20 years ago, two twins, a set of twins, they're two guys. Uh, how do you say this? Two brothers that were twins, okay? Not four people, two people. Twin brothers, Jared and Evan, came to this church because they, they just followed a, a, a call. They followed, they, they just stepped into the unknown, stepped away from their families, came to a new city and followed the call of the unknown. 
what could happen. And because of that, this church needed some leadership in youth ministry, and they stepped in and said, we're going to go for it. We're going to step into the unknown. And because of that, we're still reaching so man. There's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people that their lives have been impacted by our youth ministry because two people took a step of faith and said, I'll step into the unknown and I'll start to build a foundation. And they built the foundation for what we see in youth ministry that every summer, tons of young people experience God. Tons of young people come to Jesus because people stepped into the unknown, but it took that step into the unknown first. And every, almost every single Sunday, those twins would include me as they would leave service with all their friends. To, they're like 19, 20 years old. They take this little 13-year-old annoying kid with them, and they just include me into what they were doing that day. What were they doing? Taking a step into the unknown. We don't know how he's going to turn out, but we're going to build a foundation in him. <laughs> it's beautiful to see what God can do with a step into the unknown. I believe on Friday night, just God just put my eyes on something that I just went outside. I was actually looking for somebody else and just wandering around freezing cold outside, standing there. And as I stood there, this big truck pulled up. And when that truck pulled up, the door opened and these two young kids came out. And those two young girls came out and, and they brought two of their friends that had never been to church before, neighboring friends that came out and, and were a part of our, our, our youth event Friday night. And that person driving them was their dad. Evan, who was one of the ones who started this youth ministry. What happened is he built that foundation. Now the legacy and the lasting impacts because he took a step into the unknown. Now his children are experiencing the reward of what he, the seeds that he planted and sowed into the youth ministry of this church. We often say, what's in it for me? I believe that there's legacy for you, that there's legacy for your family, whatever it may be, whether it's just a step of obedience into maybe starting a business or starting, maybe it's a family night. I just felt on my heart, that God just said, it's a family night that somebody needs to start that is unknown, that they're worried about the time that they don't have right now, but that starting that family night will be a platform and they're going to reap the benefits from simply being obedient and doing that family night once a week, whatever it may be. We often say, what's in it for me? And God doesn't show us the reward. He just gives us the invitation. Jesus didn't even go there at all talking about the reward. He just said, come to the banquet. There you will find heaven on earth, but you got to show up. You got to respond to the invitation. You got to say, what am I going to do about this? And so often it's that step into the unknown. That's the hardest, most awkward part. Notice that when Jesus talks about them being unworthy to be at the banquet, it wasn't about the imperfections or the family they came from or their background or their amount of ungodliness or their skin color or whatever that made them unworthy to be at the banquet. It was simply their rejection to the invitation. Basically, he's saying the only thing that makes us unworthy is our rejection of him, not his rejection of us. That the responsibility is on me. What are you going to do about it? See, every other religion, we sort of get this idea from other religions that every other religion is this sort of attempt at reaching God. But Christianity is that God reached out to us. 
and that the gospel is, is that God became a human. And because of that, he, he loves us and he wants connection with us. And Jesus isn't talking about um, salvation. Jesus isn't just talking about salvation. He is in this moment, but he's, this concept can apply to so much more, to our devotional life, to our service to him, to whatever, to the church. He won't force it, but we can reject it. And our unworthiness of coming to this banquet, to this connection, is simply our rejection of God's invitation, not the imperfections that are in our life. I want to read from you Revelations uh, chapter 3, 15 to 16. John wrote, recorded Jesus's words. He says, I know that your deeds, I, sorry, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I've required wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Often I've read this verse in the past and thought that um, it's that God wants us in or out, hot or cold, not in between. But as I read through what some scholars had to say about these words and, and what the context of this verse was, the, these words, cold, hot, and lukewarm, they're likely related to the waters that are around the area that Jesus was in. And this area was famous for its hot springs, like radium. You ever been to radium? It's beautiful, man. If you need some hot springs this winter, get yourself to radium. It's nice there. Um, and there, so there's the hot springs in the area, but there's also a, a cold, clear stream of beautiful drinking water. And uh, the area had to use the hot springs to drink because in the summers, the cold stream would dry up. And they would travel and they would grab water from the, the hot springs. And as they would walk it back, the water would become lukewarm. And it was impure and sometimes foul, which made people sick. And so what Jesus was saying to the, the church of that city was that they often had that effect on Jesus. Because they were lukewarm. He's not saying be for me or against me. He's saying that you're lukewarm spiritual life is shown by you being content with your material wealth and being unaware of your spiritual poverty. And Jesus used these strong words to describe them. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ugh. Think about all the lukewarm seasons I've gone through and how good and faithful God has been that he just keeps on inviting me back to this banquet. We just need to walk away from whatever has kept us away from the banquet. Step out of the lukewarm, what's in it, comfortable life and experience heaven on earth. He's not saying, I want you to walk away or be all in. He's saying hot is good, and cold is good, but don't be lukewarm. Cold water and hot coffee can both wake you up, but lukewarm is no good. Lukewarm is staying where you're at. Lukewarm is, is, is not leaning into what God has next for you in the next season. Lukewarm is ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit because it's gonna cost you something. Lukewarm is saying, ah, I prefer to stay where things are at I'm comfortable. I don't want to get in a situation that takes away anything 
from the life I have right now. I like things the way they are. He's encouraging us to chase God, not our own selfish desires. And the good news is that God has a constant invitational spirit towards us. Whatever we've been given, we cannot allow it to come between us and God, whether it's work, possessions, the outrage of the day on social media, or whatever our own biases as to how life can be. Whatever we allow to be urgent often takes priority of what's important. And God won't force this communion. You have to prioritize this. Jesus is saying, come and feast with me because God's first position is always invitational. Come to the wedding banquet and invite people you find and anyone you find. And the way you see God will determine how you respond to God. The way you see God will determine how you respond to God. See, often people see God as like angry, hateful, that he just wants to change them and, and, and mess with them. But Man, God is this beautiful person that he's not just this external being, like a statue that we have to bow down to. He's this, um, he's this personal God. And fellowship is us inviting him in to everything that is in our life, that we're saying, I'm gonna come and sit at the banquet with you so I can get to know you better to see how my life could be heaven on earth. So when we pray at night, it's not just that we have this sort of, like I said, a statue or this external God that we go ahead and bow down to. It's that we have this God the Father and we know the nature of God the Father because he sent his son. So Jesus is the bridge that we have that teaches us about the, um, uh, the spirit of God, about who God is, the person of God. And we're prompted to pray to God by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Wow. It's not just that, oh, I'm bad, so I need to pray to God. It's that I have the Holy Spirit in me. And he leads me into this personal relationship with this personal God. And he says, in the, in the end of this, he says, many are invited, but few are chosen. And it almost makes it sound like it's this completely external thing that it's, oh, will I get chosen or not? Hopefully that would be nice to be chosen. It's, it's not an external thing like that. It's not something that we have no say in the matter. We are the ones who define if we are chosen. What's the difference between being called and chosen or being invited and being chosen? Your response. We're all called we're all invited, but few are chosen. Our chosenness, our, our status in that is just our response to his invitation. And I love that. I just want to quickly end on this, that Luke says in the parallel verse um, that Luke wrote in, in, about this story, he says, go quickly into the streets. He, he sort of... Um, communicates an urgency that the dinner is getting cold and there's people that we must bring to the banquet. I, thought, I just think that's beautiful language that we would go quickly into the streets. That's what we did this weekend. Hey, let's go quickly into the streets. Let's bring people to the house of God. You know what I loved? I, I, what I saw yesterday, there's this wonderful woman of God named Julie in our church. And what I saw yesterday is that every single person that went through the lineup 
had to go through Julie first and connect with this great woman of God who's brought so many people, helped so many people come close to Jesus. That's beautiful. That's going quickly into the streets and bringing people into the banquet that they could find salvation. And there's an urgency there because what's important to God must be important to us. It's an urgency, not just for evangelism and bringing people in, but also for us that the the sooner we can get this concept of bringing God in and and coming to the banquet and inviting and being around him in our day-to-day life, the better and the more heaven on earth we will experience. Can I pray for you? God, thank you so much for the people in this church today. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, the presence of God would go with them this week. God, thank you for this beautiful life that as things are difficult and as we struggle through through things and, 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 and sometimes things are great, we just forget about you. God, I pray that today we would be called out of our lukewarmness and into new heaven on earth life with you. God, I just thank you that, that you have uh, just a specific, wonderful future for every person in this room. And I pray that today we would just ask you to just forgive us for how off track we get sometimes. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the chances you give us. And God, I, I, just, I, I pray that today we would be passionate about removing the things that we allow in our heart to get in the way of us fully submitting to you. God, forgive us for just asking for the desires of our heart all the time and help us to get back in order with desiring you, delighting in who you are so we would get the right desires in our heart. You know, as Luke said, go quickly in the streets, respond. Respond to that invitation to the banquet. There's people here today that haven't responded to the the invitation of a a banquet of salvation, of giving your life to Jesus. It says in the Bible, all you got to do is believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you will be saved. And so you might be watching online today. You might be in the room and you have believed in your heart and you know it's time to confess with your mouth so that you will be saved and start to get, come and sit down at the banquet and begin this relationship with Jesus. He came all those years ago, died on the cross, paid for your sins, and rose again, proving that he is Lord. And today, you can repeat a prayer after me um, to respond and say, I'm, I'm welcoming. I believe now it's time to confess. You can commit your life to him or recommit your life to him today. I'm gonna ask everybody that calls Celebration Church home to repeat after me with you in agreement with you. Let's pray this right now. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, living a perfect life and dying on the cross for my sin. Today I ask you come into my heart. I believe that you are Lord and that God raised you from the dead. From now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's put our hands together for everybody who prayed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our series, Heaven on Earth. 
If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or you would like to partner with us financially, visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Come back next week to hear another great message.